You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. Hey, everybody, it's Don LaGreca with the Friday edition of Game Misconduct. Let's get right into it. All the NHLs talking about the Wednesday hit. Mark Shifley on Jake Evans. Four-game suspension for Shifley. That's a tough blow for the Jets, who looked awful in Game 1. And now they lose one of their most potent scorers, and that's going to be tough for Winnipeg to overcome here. They've already lost home ice advantage. Montreal is now a juggernaut all of a sudden. I think they can recover from it but it's still going to be very, very tough. Now, let's get into the crux of this. I've never, I shouldn't say never, because it's crazy when you get suspensions in the playoffs. Everybody looks at things differently. All right, number one, this is not Dale Hunter against Pierre Turgeon. This isn't Tom Wilson beating up Pavel Bushnevich or Artemi Panarin. I mean, this is a hockey play. And I tweeted that out, and a lot of people are like, that's not a hockey play, that's not hockey. Well, here's what I mean by hockey play, okay? Is that, yeah, you could make the case, and, and a strong one, that it was a, uh, a sense of frustration from Shifley. His team was down a goal, and he just wanted to blow somebody up. All right, fine. But there's also a case, and a strong one to be made, that he was charging after Evans to try to get there before Evans scores the clinching goal. Remember, it's 4-3. There's a minute left in the game. Goaltender pulled. If Shifley can get there and stop the goal from being scored, his team's still alive, still has over 50 seconds to maybe get the equalizer and force overtime. So I would think that his intent there was to get to Evans as quickly as possible. Now, a charging penalty... And you can decide the degree of penalty by how far a player travels to get to the contact. Well, he's traveling from center ice with the objective of getting there before the goal is scored, not necessarily blowing the player up. Now, was the hit legal? No. Was it responsible? No. Was it reckless? Yes. But you can at least still see the intent of it being a hockey play. I need to get to Evans before he puts it in to the empty net. I heard people say, well, he's got to go for the puck. Well, what does going for the puck do in that situation? The puck's already heading towards the net. He can't dislodge the net because then that would be an automatic goal. If he dives head first into the post, he probably breaks his neck. He's going to hit Evans. He's trying to get to Evans before Evans can put the puck into the net. And it ended up being a perfect storm. Now, was the hit high? Was the hit reckless? All those things relate to it being a suspension. But making it over-the-top dirty, especially when the guy doesn't really have a history, I'm going to lean on the side of it being a hockey play. You saw in his face that he really didn't think he did anything wrong because I'm sure he's thinking in his mind, hey, I was just trying to stop the goal from being scored. Ron Dugay, Butch Goring, both had Shifley's back in the sense that, hey, this is the playoffs. He's trying to stop a goal from being scored. But I think two things can be both right here. That it was a hockey play. He's trying to prevent the goal from being scored. But it's suspendable because the hit was irresponsible. It was high. He might have left his feet. 
So all those things could be in play. It's called nuance, people. All right. That's why George Peros's job is so difficult. Now, sometimes it's obvious when a player gets attacked on the ice or clubbed with a stick, you know, what Marshan did last night with his high sticking penalty, all those things can be looked at and say, that's irresponsible. You're supposed to be responsible for your body the same as you're responsible for your stick. But it's still tough when you're talking about a play during the course of action, the degree of hit, and plus things have changed dramatically over the last few years, and that's why maybe Butch Goring and Ron Duguay's analysis is a little bit kind of stuck in the mud old school, because let's face it, Scott Stevens had hits like that all the time and nobody blinked, and if they did blink, it was to congratulate Stevens on an amazing hit game's a little different now it's a lot different now so those hits are judged um on a different degree so it's suspendable four games four playoff games almost the the bulk of the series one game has already been played he won't return until game six which is and if necessary at this point so it's tough but it got such a reaction and i'm sure peros is under a lot of stress to make sure that he doesn't ignore these types of things. And obviously when something happens, especially to a Canadian player, there's going to be a lot of focus on it, second round and all that. So maybe it's a little excessive. I'm sure there's some people listening to this podcast that think he should be out for the entire playoffs. But hopefully I was able to shed a little bit of light. And again, I'm not a former player, but I I talked to people. I reached out to people trying to get their opinions, people that played, people have been in those situations. And the bag seemed to be like what I said. Excessive, suspendable, but over-the-top dirty when you can kind of see what the game plan was. So game two tonight without Shifley, without Evans possibly, as the Canadians look to take a 2-0 series lead. And it's amazing what Montreal's been able to do here in, in eliminating Toronto and now for the second consecutive series now taking game one and taking home ice away. So we'll see what what happens tonight. The previous two times a team had a long layoff, and I mentioned this on the podcast on Wednesday, and I made it my ice pick because of it with the way that the Bruins and the Avalanche played coming after the long break, uh, I thought Winnipeg would do the same. Maybe their break was a little too long. It had been eight days off before they played game one, and maybe Rust won over rest in that situation where with Colorado and Boston, it was rest that won over rust. Who knows? And, And when you saw the way game two was played, both games going into overtime with with Vegas and Toronto and with Boston and the Islanders, that game two is a much different thing. So maybe it's reverse for Winnipeg. Ugly game one, much better game two, even the series and go from there. But again, they will have to do it without one of their best offensive players, Mark Shifley, and that certainly got a lot of attention. So last night, Boston overcomes... Then they win in overtime to take a 2-1 series lead there. Barzell finally scores his first goal of the postseason, comes in the third period. It was a, it was a tight game. Varlamov, I thought, played well. And then you get down to something that gets preached all the time whenever I'm doing a game with Dave Maloney. Get pucks to the net. There's no such thing as a bad shot to the net. How many times have we seen weird angle shots go in? How many times have we seen the puck ping pong around and find the back of the net? It's so difficult to score in the postseason. There's so little room. I give Marshawn credit. You know, he saw an opening and he just threw it to the net and it just found the perfect spot. It beats Varlamov and 
Boston ends up winning in overtime. The Islanders have shown so much resiliency that I will not say they're dead, especially since Game 4 is going to be at home on Saturday to even this series. I think it's going to be a long series. It's going to be a fun series. So the good news, Barzell, uh, he's able to uh, finally get off the schneid. Bad news is now the Islanders behind in the series two games to one. They did a great job shutting down that top line. Hall gets uh, get going. That second line gets going. Smith comes back from his injury and scores the first goal. And then it was just waiting for that next one. Barzell gets it, and, Ber- and then Marshan gets the game winner, and now Boston's got the 2-1 series lead. Uh, I, I, I was looking at Twitter, and it's, it's interesting. I, I've brought this up many times in sports before, where you think your team's good, but then you see really elite teams play, and you go, oh, man, that's a, that's a different level. And that's what you saw in Game 2 between Vegas and and Colorado the other night. And what a just unbelievable performance by Grubauer. He, he's the guy that's forgotten, right? We talk so much about Flurry and talk about Price and talk about Vasilevsky, and rightly so. Those are great goaltenders. But Philip Grubauer has just been amazing for Colorado. He is up for the Vesna Trophy for the goaltender of the year. Uh, he faced 41 shots, made 39 saves, and the Avalanche win in overtime but Vegas showed you that they have the ability to bounce back so they're down two games to none but hey they didn't lose a home game yet going back to Vegas tonight and obviously it's a much win bust win situation but with Flurry playing well and with uh, I think the Golden Knights back and in, in more engaged than they were in game one that they still have a chance to get back in the series similar to the way uh, Colorado was able to get it done last night on the road winning in overtime beating the Lightning by the final score of three to two, overcoming a uh, two nothing lead, did the uh, two nothing deficit Tampa by getting goals uh, by point by Kalorn, but it would end up being the game winning goal scored by Jordan Stahl out in front. Aho takes the shot. Taravainen gets an assist at five fifty seven of overtime. So Carolina gets back into the series with a road win. Vegas in a bit of a different situation, getting a chance to come home. So I don't think that series is over by a long shot. You know, you see blowouts in game one, and it doesn't really matter as long as you come back and perform. And that's the true Vegas team. And I think those teams are very evenly matched. They were during the course of the regular season, but you got to get game three. They're not coming back from three nothing down. So if we're going to see a fun series, then Vegas is going to have to do what Carolina did last night and get that game three win and with a chance to kind of square things up. And if Vegas can do that, they'll get that game four at home and a very good chance of going back to Colorado with a 2 2 series, which I think is going. Going to happen. So, as I mentioned, Carolina wins in overtime. So that series is two-one. Tampa with the lead, and and it's all going to be tight, right? Tampa's proven to you they can play any way you want to play. You want to play a seven-six game, we can do that. You want to play a two-one game, we can do that. And all these games are going to be right down to the nub. A couple of two-one final wins for Tampa uh, in games one and two. Overtime win in game three. These overtime games have just been. So much fun, so engaging, and these playoffs have just been spectacular. So tonight, 7.30, Canadians and the Jets from Winnipeg. Montreal's up one game to none. And then at 10 o'clock, it'll be the Avalanche and the Golden Knights with Colorado up two games to none there. All right, let's close out the week with your tweets, at Don LaGreca, hashtag game misconduct. And let's go to David, who says, going back to Sunday's Vegas Avalanche game, 
I can say I've never witnessed a nine-minute power play before. You've been, we've been waiting. Uh, you've been watching hockey much longer than me. Is that the longest power play you've ever seen, or is there another game you remember a power play that was over five minutes? I, I, I don't remember. God, this is going back to like the mid '80s. Uh, Carpenter was the head coach of the New Jersey Devils. That they, I think there was like an eleven-minute power play that they had to kill off in the regular season. I don't remember seeing it in the postseason, David. It's crazy. And, and he's, of course, he's talking about that uh, that crazy game one with that long power play and that just uh, really just tough effort for Vegas. But no, you don't see it very often, and uh, it's something that, boy, if that game was more competitive, what a turning point that could have possibly been, having that long of a power play opportunity. What a momentum uh, swing it would be if a team's able to kill off a power play that long. Because remember, five of those nine minutes, you're able to score as many times as you want because the major was involved in that. So, no, I didn't see that. And and again, you watch the uh, what I was saying before, you watch Vegas in Colorado – and it just seems like they're playing at a different level than a lot of other teams uh, that we've seen so far this year. So that I, I really think you can make the case. Uh, I don't feel as strongly as I do in the NBA with the winner of the Bucks nets winning the championship, but you could certainly make a case the winner of Vegas-Colorado will win the Stanley Cup. Uh, Tony says, Does the NHL need to review how they discipline players this offseason? They gave Shifley four games for a hit, but... Let guys like Tom Wilson off the hook. Seems like the league falls into pressure from the media sometimes on forcing a suspension to save themselves. Well, a couple of things at play here, all right? The level of injury sometimes comes into consideration. And Evans was down, prone on the ice. And also, let's not forget, great job out of Nikolai Ehlers shielding off the scrum off of a prone Evans. I mean, that's somebody on the opposition, but being a, a just a good human being and putting being a human being over hockey and shielding the scrum from Evans because that could have been ugly if players end up falling on top of him. At that particular moment, we didn't know the exact injury and what was ailing him. Um, but there's different levels here. Again, when you look at the Tom Wilson play, right, which everybody talks about and you just brought up, you know, nothing happened to Bushnevich. Panarin left the rest of the game, but it wasn't, I don't think, a catastrophically serious injury the way it looked like with Evans, where he really, he really could have been hurt. And again, the defense of Paros is going to be, well, Tom Wilson was defending himself because Panarin jumped on top of him. This was a defenseless player. He was blown up on the play. The hit was illegal. It's the postseason. There's a lot that goes into it. We can argue whether it should be four games or not because somebody told me a long time ago that one uh, one postseason game is equal to two regular season games. So if that were to happen in the regular season, you're looking at maybe an eight-game suspension. But I do think that sometimes when it's high profile that there's going to be a little bit of pressure on Paros and the league to really answer the call. And so many people were watching that game, right? You're in the playoffs. The attention's a lot higher than, let's say, that was just some you know, arbitrary you know, game in Winnipeg at, at 11 o'clock at night that nobody's watching other than people in Montreal and Winnipeg. But when you've got the whole league watching, that does put a lot of pressure. But um, it's tough because if you have a committee of people, then you got people arguing. If it's down to one person, then it's just that person's sensibilities. A lot goes into it. I, I like how transparent the league is explaining how the rules are broken, releasing a video, kind of giving you information that they do during the regular season. But it's a tough job. It really is. And just look at social media. There are people that thought there was no penalty, that it wasn't even a charge. 
And there are some people that thought he should have been disciplined and removed from the playoffs altogether. So it, it's really crazy that um, how the mind works with everybody. Uh, Shining Wizards Kevin says, do you feel that the Shifley suspension is the league's way of overcompensating after doing nothing during the Tom Wilson situation? Because I sure do. Again, Tom Wilson's different situation. No no real catastrophic injury. Nothing happened to Bushnevich. Panarin did leave the game, did not return for the rest of what was left of the season, but no major injury. Panarin also, you could say, instigated by jumping on top of Shifley, uh, jumping on top of Wilson. Uh, listen, this is not me talking. This is the league talking. So the incidents are completely different. So um, I don't think they were taking that into consideration because, again, both were complete. Were, it was apples and oranges, really. Uh, Donnell says, which is more shocking to you, the Jets sweeping the Oilers in four games or the Canadians coming back down 3-1 to eliminate the Maple Leafs in seven games? Well, um, listen, I was surprised by both, um, but the Oilers didn't really have any kind of history where where the Canadians, the, the, the Maple Leafs were the best team in the North Division and the Canadians were the worst team in the playoffs, and they came overcame a 3-1 deficit. So I'm, I'm more surprised by what the Canadians um, did than what the Jets did because the Oilers' goaltending has been suspect, too top-heavy with just Dreisaitl and McDavid scoring goals for them. Both were shocking, but not to the point of the Canadians coming back, beating the Leafs, number one, and doing it coming back in 3-1 fashion. Troy says, do you think the Devils should draft Luke Hughes? Defensemen usually take a few years to develop properly, and I can't tell if New Jersey will allow him the time he needs to do it. It would be interesting, the third brother of the Hugheses, um, and then being able to join um, Jack Hughes, too. Fourth overall pick. Doesn't seem like he'll be there, though, Troy. A lot of people think that Hughes will not get past the top three or even the top two. So it may not be something that uh, New Jersey will have the opportunity to do. And we should congratulate the Buffalo Sabres, and rightly so, winning the draft lottery. They were the worst team in the NHL, deserved the first overall pick. First time that's happened since 2018. So Buffalo gets the first pick. The Seattle Kraken will select uh, second in their inaugural draft and coming up in their first season in the NHL. Tommy says the Avs look like they are on another level. If they beat Vegas to advance to the Final Four, what team would have the best chance to pull the upset well we know who it's going to be right it's going to be the winner of Winnipeg and Montreal because of and I think I mentioned this the other day is that the two best teams in the league are Vegas and Colorado so whoever wins that will be the one seed and the two worst teams in the playoffs are Winnipeg and Montreal so whoever wins that series will be the four seed and neither of those teams I think can touch Vegas or Colorado and if it's especially Colorado so I would think, I, I feel very comfortable to tell you that the winner of Vegas, Colorado, will at least go to the Stanley Cup final. But, hey, surprises do happen. Matthew says, do you see the Bees Isle series going seven? Who comes out on top? Going to be more evenly matched teams head-to-head. Couldn't be more uh, uh, amazing goaltending. Yeah, this, is, uh, this has all the earmarks of a seventh game. Uh, the Islanders, as I mentioned before, have a ton of resiliency. Heck, I wouldn't even count them out forcing a Game 7 if they were to lose Game 4. And we've seen road teams play so well that even if the Islanders fell behind 3-1, I could totally see them going to Boston, winning a Game 5, and then forcing a Game 6 and all that. I, I just think the Islanders are built for the postseason, low-scoring games, breaks here and there. I would not count them out at all. Um, let's see. Uh, 
Uh, Boley13 says, will Varlamov ever escape the first four shots of a game not giving up an awful goal? It, it is an Achilles heel for them. Now, the Islanders have been able to overcome uh, the uh, Achilles heel they had during the regular season and early in the playoffs of not winning when giving up the first goal. Uh, but still, especially in a tight series like this, and I think the Islanders are just a different team when they're playing with a lead. He better overcome it, otherwise the Islanders are going to be done. A Yankee Penguin says, Hi, Don. Do you think that Dan Bilesma should get head coach consideration from teams like Columbus or the Rangers? I'm not sure if Bilesma will interview with the Rangers. I haven't heard that. I, I think he'd be a perfect fit in Columbus. It's interesting. He failed in Buffalo, but he succeeded in Pittsburgh, right? Uh, I think he's an excellent coach, an excellent mind. I, I think he definitely deserves a shot, no question. Uh, in the NHL. Again, Nate says, brutal offensive game by the Islanders. Question, they have been consistently good. They have a great coach and GM, and they have new beautiful arena opening up. When do we finally see the Isles mentioned when good players ask for trades or coming free agency? Uh, meaning, will, when will the Islanders become a destination? Well, uh, listen, they've been consistently good, right? And as you said, uh, Lou and Barry are guys that have proven that you can win. And with a new building, as you said, now listen, it's not, I, I think it's got a lot of things like Brooklyn, right? In the sense that it's the New York market, so there is a tension, but it's also not the first team like the Rangers, so you can kind of hide a little bit out there on the island. So if you're somebody that wants the exposure of New York, but not excessive exposure, like you get when you're one of the original six teams, say, like playing in Detroit or, or playing in Montreal or Chicago, um, yeah, I think it will be a destination for sure. Um, the question that you would have, though, and uh, this is not ageism by any stretch of the imagination, but if you're going to sign a long-term contract, let's say a seven-year deal with the Islanders, I guess you're going to be asking yourself, Lou, how much longer do you want to do this? Are you going to be here for the length of my contract? And what's the plan when you decide to retire? Um, Barry, a little bit less of an issue, but I, I think that has to come up, right? You mean you love Lou, you love his history, you love what he did with the New Jersey Devils winning three Stanley Cups, did a great job in Toronto as well, and certainly has put the Islanders right back on the map as well. He's been a, a special executive in this league for a long time, but he's also 78 years old. So at the start of next season, he is going to be 79. So, when, and, I, and again, I, he's a young 78, going to be 79 years old. He has not shown any ability, in my mind, of losing touch with the younger players and the league and the way the league has matured and gotten different than when he first came into it as the general manager of the Devils back in 1987. But that would be a question I have. All right, Lou, you're going to be 79 years old. You want me to sign a long-term contract. How many of those years are you going to be the general manager of this team? And what is your plan once you leave? Are you going to leave it to your son? Uh, what's the deal? Because I think that's important. Because if he's one of the attractive pieces to go there, then you can't ignore the fact that at the start of next season, uh, the person that you want to play for is going to be 79 years old. That would definitely factor into my decision as well but that being said i can still see lou doing this for uh, a few more years because i think he's really uh loves the game and i think he is a definitely young 78 years old all right we've got the two games tonight um as i mentioned montreal winnipeg the golden knights home for the avalanche then saturday 
Bruins Islanders at the barn. But then the 4 o'clock game is going to be the Lightning and the Hurricanes. And then on Sunday, Jets-Canadians again at 6 o'clock start and 8.30 for the Golden Knights and the Avalanche. So we'll be back again on Monday. We'll talk to EJ Raddick, get his thoughts on Shifley, get his thoughts on the second round of the playoffs. Want to get in touch with me at Don LaGreca, hashtag game misconduct is the way to do that. We will talk to you again on Monday. Have a fabulous weekend. This was the Friday edition of Game Misconduct. This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca.